I, w- I want to just read to you um, an excerpt from John Adams. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. It was written on the 2nd of July, which was the, or actually the 3rd of July, but it was uh, the 2nd of July is when they ratified the Declaration of Independence and then, uh, of course, the 4th of July in which we celebrate it. So when I read this, it'll make more sense because John was writing to his wife and uh, sending this letter to her, and he didn't know yet that it was going to be the 4th of July. But he's talking about, uh, just to set up some context, some of the good and the bad. If you go read the whole excerpt, he was talking about how difficult it was to come to a consensus, and he was glad that that there was a delay in creating the Declaration of Independence because he thought that it would aid in the resolve of the citizens of the colonies to actually uh, unite together to, uh, you know, fight for independence, which, of course, they obviously did. And then at the end of that that, uh, fairly long uh, letter, he writes this. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. This is one of our founding fathers here in the United States. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, Amen. Bells, bonfires, illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forever. You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see the end is more than worth all the means, and that posterity, that would be us, will triumph in the day's transaction, even although we should rue it, which I trust in God, we shall not. That was written by John Adams to his wife Abigail on July 3rd, 1776. And that's an incredible thing that he wrote that. I mean, what an incredible vision that man had. And everything he said was absolutely right. Uh, he wasn't a prophet, uh, but he was absolutely right. And at the end, what really touches me is that the posterity is the one that they were concerned about. And it really is about making disciples and make disciples, right? We always work for what, uh, and we sacrifice, hopefully, for the next generation. And uh, when I think about that, and I think about the liberty that we have uh, historically had, and I know the Patriot Act has eroded a lot of that, and some of the current um, you know, laws that are in place have eroded a lot of the Constitution. But it is important that American citizens understand as James just prayed, our true liberty comes from where? Jesus, right? There wouldn't be a Magna Carta, there wouldn't be a U.S. Constitution, uh, and there wouldn't even be the concept of individual freedom and liberty and individual soul liberty if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to just turn our attention just briefly to a, a very important passage as the Apostle Paul was addressing the Galatians. Uh, they, uh, in a religious sense, had been bringing, been being brought back into bondage that was not necessary. So Paul wrote these words in his uh, first sentence of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so he's very clear that, uh, you know what, being free is not something that you just, you know, should be taken for granted nor is it something that will stand on its own. There is a need to stand and recognize the freedom that we have comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor him. And I think it's so fitting that John Adams mentioned first and foremost 
that we should have devotion to God Almighty. And so I'd just like to take a moment, and, and, and I know one of the things that's gone on, especially in the last few years, is that sometimes, uh, you know, people have conflated uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message with political parties. And I've been careful over the last several, last, you know, 19 years uh, to make sure that uh, the church is not beholden to, to political parties. Uh, or even to, even actually, we have a higher calling. I just got to be honest with you. That's why there's a separation of church and state, because we serve the Lord God Almighty first and foremost. And so I'm thankful we live in a nation that recognizes that. And so um, I think it's important, though, however, because we do, like Jesus, we love God, right? We love people, uh, that we pray for our nation. As a matter of fact, we're commanded to pray for kings and for all that are in authority. And if the Apostle Paul could submit himself to Nero, and, uh, and be executed, then certainly we could submit ourselves to every power. Uh, at the same time, of course, we cannot submit ourselves to not preaching the gospel, right? And we will preach the gospel no matter what, and I praise God that we have the gospel. And so <clears throat> because we love God and because we love people and we're called to pray, um, <clears throat> pray for kings, all in authority, I'd like to just have just a brief season of prayer. And um, I think, and I'm not 100% sure, so I don't want to offend anybody, but I believe that our eldest veteran in the house this morning is Bob Bolkin. And so if I'm mistaken, forgive me. Uh, but I'm going to invite uh, Bob Bolkin, if, if he could come. And Brother Bob, there's a there's a microphone over in this corner. Oh, th this one here? <clears throat> so I can use this? Okay. I'm going to invite Brother Bob up here. Uh, he's a founding member. He's also uh, a veteran and uh, served the Lord in, uh, in Korea. And uh, we just appreciate you, Bob. So I'd like to ask Bob just to lead us in prayer. It looks like he's brought a word of God, too, so that's awesome. So he's, uh, he can do that. When the Bible talks about elders, uh, he's, uh, he's our elder of you, too. Yeah, he told me to use this one. I'd like to have everyone, if you will, for just a moment, please stand with me for just a moment with, uh, before we pray. I want all of us to look over here to my left. It's the flag of our country. That flag has seen a lot of blood. What we have in America is a great and wonderful thing because we have freedom. That one was by blood. Now look to your right. This flag over here was also a flag of blood. It was for our very souls. This one was for our freedom. That was for our we pray just now, please think on those things. Be thankful for the men and women that have served the flag, whether it's first responders, in the military, whatever. Give thanks to God for them, please. And for this one, we have one man that we give thanks to and a mighty God, his Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we talk this now and realize that we live in a country that is free, we realize that that freedom was bought and paid for by blood, service people, and others that have given their lives for the freedom of this country that we so are so thankful for and joy over. Father, when we look to the other flag, we realize that that's a flag that has secured our very souls, for our souls are in danger at all times. But Jesus has set us free from the grasp of Satan's hand who would have us. God bless this church, bless the message of your word each and every way. And God, I pray just now 
that each and every one of us will examine ourselves before you, give thanks for this country, and give thanks for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The second Chronicles 7.14, and guess what? You can, you can read it. <laughs> he says I can read it again. Yeah. It's, it might be, some might say that this is out of context, but really the context of the message is here today. This is what it says in Second Chronicles 7.14. It was flashed upon the screen. And I had it in my Bible sitting back over my finger because I didn't want to lose my place. Mm-hmm. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I, what, hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Please pray for revival. Mm-hmm. We need it so desperately in our country, and I hope it becomes a stalwart of this church. In Jesus' name. Thank Amen. You, Th- thank you. God thank you, Bob. You may be seated. Amen. It makes you want to clap, doesn't it? Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Bob's a faithful soldier in the Lord, too. Bob and Sharon, it's good to have you. This is your third week back, second week? Second week back, so we're glad to have Sharon in the house as well and uh, be praying for her and uh, many others in our church that are, are dealing with various ailments, including cancer. So uh, we're going to transition to, I just want to take some mo- a moment and thank the Lord for, for our country. I know we do that Sunday nights is our prayer time. Tonight we will not be uh, having prayer service. We'll be at the park doing Spark in the Park, so we'll be celebrating as as uh, John Adams suggested, but we'll also be presenting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all invited to come out. Five o'clock, we'll be out there, Lord willing. Uh, we'll have a little tent, some signs. Uh, uh, I'll have a little sound system, and every hour we'll be uh, inviting people, really probably every half hour, to come and answer some trivia questions, and then I'll do a little preaching, and uh, and if I and, uh, even some testimony time, if I can get a few folks to share testimonies, and it's a good time. We did it last year and uh, the year before, and it went really well, so looking forward to that tonight. Uh, but right now, I want to just take a few moments and focus on the Word of God. And, and, uh, and as we remember, you know, the liberty that we have in Christ, that brings us back around to our third installment of the sermon series from 1 John uh, chapters 2 and 3 called Bringing Relationships to Light. So we've covered the first uh, 14 verses already in 1 John chapter 2. And we've seen the Word uh, <coughs> and our, our walk in 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 and then in verses 1 through 14 we saw how we need to see clearly uh, we need to walk soundly and we need to read personally and take the word of God personally that's what we talked about last week so that brings us to um, to seeing uh, our text this morning of 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 and this passage is going to take me a couple weeks to digest in the time that we have uh, but to give you an idea where we're going um I'm just going to kind of review where we've been. So uh, we got together last time, and uh, we dealt with the need to take the word personally. And I asked you to memorize First uh, John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Uh, in this text, we're going to see today how we need to receive God's instruction. Next week, we'll get together and talk about searching the Scripture for God's definitions and determining our final destination. So I mentioned the, the assignment, right? Last week, we had the assignment. So... Um, how many of you, did anybody, let me just ask, did anybody do their assignment? Awesome, two, awesome. 
All right, more than one. So that's exciting. I was afraid nobody, crickets, chirp, chirp. All right. Well, it just so happens I've got, I got, I, I, I was not kidding when I said there's a reward. I saw, I saw your hand go up first, Miss Diane. So if you could stand, you, now there's, there's a requirement to this assignment. You've got to stand and publicly recite 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Word for word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now you get a choice. Chick fillet, Chick fil A, Cadbury chocolate milk, Reese's Pieces, or MMs. Oh, this is the choice one. Miss Amy, Vanna, or, okay, we got Rex. Oh, yeah, while Rex is out, if you need a handout for today, Rex can, uh, can pass one of those out. So just put your hand in the air uh, if you need a handout. All right, so who wants to go next? And uh, you know the choices, so uh, if that's a motivation. You don't have to, if you don't want to. Yes, Miss Abigail, there's something for you. Amen. Good job. Very good. Do any of these items interest you? All three. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? These are peanut M&Ms, Reese's Pieces, or Cadbury Dairy uh, Milk Chocolate. Peanut M&Ms. All right. So, uh, Vanna? All right. Anyone else? Oh, those are Reese's Pieces. So, thank you. That's why I need help. I help me. Oh, Amy's bringing them. Just throw them across. Don't really. All right. Anybody else? I saw several hands go up, but it's the hard part of standing up. That's why I had to have incentivize you guys. <laughs> I can see nobody likes Reese's Pieces. So, all right. All right. These are here. So, uh, maybe next time. All right. We'll uh, we'll see. I'll hand them out at the park tonight. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, doing that, taking the time to memorize the Word of God. We, it's so important. You know, a lot of times if you want to personalize the Word of God, memorization is the way to go. It's not just uh, information, but it really does sink down in your heart. Uh, the verses that I've memorized intentionally and unintentionally uh, stick with me forever, you know, and they resonate with you. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's really about honoring God's Word and making it a priority because it takes time to memorize. You've got to stop. You've got to think. Uh, in uh, verse 15 there, it's funny, that I've had that memorized backwards. I always interpose the uh, lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And so I didn't even realize that until I gave you this assignment. And I was going back over, I'm like, wait a minute, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And part of it. So I, I probably misquoted that to you for years, and I just realized that uh, this week. And I thought, wow. So it's little things like that that uh, are important, too, that we do it right. I appreciated uh, Brother Bob sharing that passage as well from uh, Chronicles. That's so important. So... Uh, so last week when I assigned you that, uh, the idea was that we made the Word of God personal and then we take it to heart. And so now that means it's, it, <coughs> it's meant to be taken personal. In the book of Psalms, 
And many of you know this passage. In 119, verse 11, David said, Thine word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And it's also very practical, right? It's what we need to stay clean, to stay holy before God. And so let us look at our Bibles this morning and read a passage of Scripture once more. I know we've heard it recited now a couple times, but once more, let's look at it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Heavenly Father, I pray in the time that we have left, Lord, that you would bless the reading, the hearing, and the application of your word. We're thankful for what we have already seen. Lord, the praise was excellent this morning. The opportunity to uh, remember uh, the independence that you have allowed us to have, this posterity that John Adams wrote about, Lord, the liberty in which we have in Christ. We prayed over our nation. Lord, help these things to resonate in our heart as we go forward and teach us from your word this morning as we desire not to love uh, this world nor the things thereof. Lord, I pray, God, a blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we continue to consider this, this broad topic of bringing relationships to light, I want to take the next couple of weeks here and, and focus on these three verses. And this morning, I'm just going to focus primarily on the need to receive God's instruction. And this passage is very clear that, that the Apostle John says, Love not the world. Right? Neither the things that are in the world. So he doesn't, it's not a, it's one of these things, if you've got a, a blank there, love not the world is a command, right? It's a command, not a suggestion. It's a command, not a suggestion. Today we don't like commands. A lot of people don't like commands. Um, I'm just so motivated. I just saw my, uh, one of my, my cousin's son just went in the Marines. I was uh, just texting her this morning and, and uh, so proud of that family and the sacrifice that that young man's going to go through. Our friend uh, Grayson Wilson's in the Army now. And, you know, young men, they learn to take commands, don't they? It makes them, what does that make them into? A soldier, right? Well, a man and a soldier, right? We teach children to obey, but ultimately that obedience leads to a place of sacrifice. We just, we just talked about sacrifice, the sacrifice of those before us, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood on the cross for those that are that for other people. And so John is saying, in contrast to what we saw in 1 John chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you know, we need to love God and we need to love people. That's going to come through obedience. And our obedience grows, right, from keeping our hand out of the cookie jar to actually obeying the Lord and sacrificing. That is, is absolutely uh, highlighted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who said, not my will, but thine be done, and went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. What a day to remember that on, the, on Independence Day. So you can see how this, uh, this correlates with 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. This correlates with 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 that we've already looked at. And that is the old commandment in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7 that is referenced there by the Apostle John. He says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old command, commandment which ye have from the beginning. Now, I've already preached over that, but I just want to touch on that briefly as we think about this. Uh, this statement that is made by John in verse 15. The old commandment is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, and Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. Uh, and I'm not going to turn to that this morning for time's sake, plus we've already gone over that ground. But I do want you to realize that Jesus Christ um, is, is the one who set forth the priority of the commandments. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38, Jesus Christ said this when being questioned uh, by an attorney, by a lawyer. He, Jesus said unto him, when asked, what is the great commandment? Jesus said, 
unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Right? And then in, uh, further on in that passage, he goes on to say in verse 39, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I think that's familiar to most of us. And we often uh, say, love God, love people. That's where that comes from. That's from Jesus Christ summarizing that. And of course, all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Christ. He is the end of the law. Um, and so he, is, he has fulfilled all the law. That's why we put our faith in him and his finished work on the cross. So this is the old commandment that was given to the nation of Israel in the law of Moses. And John said, I write no new commandment unto you because... He knew this, uh, that his readers already understood the Old Testament passages and the priority in which Jesus taught them, modeled them, and then fulfilled them. But we see a couple of weeks back that in the New Commandment of 1 John 2.8, it's simply carrying forth what Jesus said to the disciples. So John recorded Jesus' New Commandment in John 13.34. And we've also covered this, but I just want to remind you of what we covered. In John 13.33, it's interesting that Jesus says to his disciples, Little children. Remember, that's the three that we've addressed it here in First John chapter 2. Little children, young men, and uh, fathers. And of course, I also brought out last week that he, in, in, in verse 1, says, my little children. And so, uh, and so he deals with little children. Jesus says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and, I, <clears throat> and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now, say, now I say to you. And he says, I, you can't go where I'm going. Um, and so it's not just your brethren, the Jews. It's also my disciples, my little children. I count you as mine. Then he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Now this is the new commandment because Jesus is fixing to go to the cross, right? And he's going to give his life for others. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one uh, to another and so that brotherly love that 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 love is is what really magnifies um uh, the lord jesus christ and of course his disciples that sacrifice that uh, willingness to obey god and so when we say yes to god we really need to say no to some other things and that's the reality that john is saying you know there's some things we got to just say no to uh, if you're going to love God, you've got to say no to this and to that. And one of those things is love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So the new commandment is to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Practically speaking, that means we are to lay our lives down for our brothers. Now, that's not a new commandment, or that's, a, that's not a new thing thought for us. Uh, in, in John chapter 15 and verse 10, uh, the Lord Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, right, if you obey... You shall obey my, uh, you sh I'm sorry, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain, where? In you. That it might remain in you, and your joy might be full, is what he says in 1 John 1, 4. And notice that John is, he's, he's lifting from what Jesus told him. Right? So we can see the same phrases popping up in, in, all, in the same epistles. That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Well, in 1 John 1, 4, that's exactly what he said. I, I write these things unto you that, you might, that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, Jesus goes on to say, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. 
So we cannot lose our salvation, uh, but we can lose our joy. And when Jesus, of course, died on the cross and resurrected, we understand, some of you may not know this or if you're watching online, what happened is Jesus uh, did not initially indwell the believer until Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. So as he ascended in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, he said, wait here, right, in Jerusalem, 50 days later after his resurrection, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God indwelled them, and literally Christ was in them. And for me, March 25th, 1987, when I bowed down and, and asked Christ uh, to forgive me of my sins, and I called upon the name of the Lord to save me, he did, and, he, and he, he indwelt me. He sealed my soul until the day of redemption. He circumcised my, uh, my, uh, my, he quickened my soul and circumcised my uh, soul and cut me away from my flesh. So now you have these dual natures, right? You have the old Adamic nature, uh, which wants to do its thing, and then you have the new nature in Christ. Christ dwells in you. The love of God, the joy of God, is not something you have to conjure up. It already, if you're born again, if you're born again, it is in you, right? So it's not a matter of, of, you know, oh, I need to love more, I need to love more. You really just might need to let go of some things that you're loving instead because all the love you need is right there. It's the Spirit of God, the Word of God working in concert with your mind, right, and your fruition to allow God to have control of your life. It's about a relationship with God, and when that happens, it's going to affect everyone around you. The love of God will be self-evident. It'll be manifest because you're walking in the Spirit, right? What's the first fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, there's nine of them. They're listed as one. This is the fruit of the Spirit. But the prominent one at the very beginning is what? Love, right? Love is manifest. Uh, it just mani- the, the, the evidence of the Spirit of God is love. And it doesn't always just work itself out the first day. But I tell you what, it took me some years to, to deal with some issues in my heart. But the love that I needed, the reservoir of love that I, would, that I needed to be able to handle that was already in me the moment I got saved. But it was about choosing. It was about saying, you know what? If I'm going to say yes to God's love, I'm going to have to say no to some other things. And so, and so 1 John 1, 4, John said in, a, in, the, in the beginning of the epistle, which you've already covered, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Man, who does not want to be joyful? It's 4th of July. We should all be joyful. But we learn as we grow uh, in this life, right, that the things that we, that we do don't make us happy. Right? Just like the things that we have don't make us happy. The only thing that really gives us joy is the Lord Jesus Christ and the relationships that we have in Christ. You can have all the money in the world and be miserable. You can go to all the parties in the world. You can have all the, all the, uh, uh, you can have all the adrenaline going uh, in, your, in your system and making you feel. You can get high on meth, man, and run on high for weeks and on end and days until you're about to die. And you know what? You're not going to have joy in your heart. Right? Joy comes from Jesus. Jesus, right? Others and then yourself, putting things in order, saying yes to him and no to the things that he would not have us involved in. So John knows uh, that, that the world and the things that are in the world will rob us of our love for God and our joy if we allow it. <clears throat> so what is new is the light of Christ that dwells in us, and we are able to love one another at, at a supernatural level because it's our love. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, it's not our love, it's Christ. So look at your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. you got to find a neighbor, some of you. You're pretty far apart, right? Now, do the hard part. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I love you. All right. Yeah, some of you are like, whoa, brother, you're getting me out of my comfort zone. Yeah, now be careful who you say I love you to now. All right. This is all phileo love around here. All right, so. 
So Jesus loves you, right? Because Jesus loves you, guess what? You can love others. That's what it boils down to. As you've been loved, you can love others. Now, that brings, that brings joy to your heart. It brings the light of Christ. It gives us the opportunity, as I preached last week, to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. And so loving uh, the world, though, it places us at war with God. Now, there's some things. Now, that, that, I hope that's true in our heart. Jesus loves me, and, and I love you. I love you, Steve. I love you, Bob. I love you, wife. And so <laughs> that may be a little less paleo with her. But anyway, uh, you know, Without getting in, I'll get into the agape and, and all that later, but, but my point is this. I'm getting myself off track. That's bad when you're this preacher and you get yourself off track. Uh, but but the, uh, the things of this world can rob us, can't they? You know, something goes wrong, this goes haywire, and all of a sudden, you don't feel like loving. You lost that loving feeling, right? Whoa, whoa. And so, <laughs> it's over. It's gone, gone, gone. But it really isn't gone. It's just, it's, it's right here where we left off, right? It, it, God hasn't gone anywhere, right? He's waiting for us to get back where we belong. And so, so loving the world places us at war with God. In James 4, 4, the Bible says, ye adulterers, you want to think of something that'll rob your joy. How about that? Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Yeah. Know ye not that the friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now he's talking about spiritual adultery. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's pretty strong in a day of accepting everything that goes when the whistle blows, right? God says, no, wait a minute. You can't be a friend of the world or you're at enmity. You're at war with me. My nature is incongruent with this world. The only thing I want you to share with this world is my love. But they can't have the rest of you. They, you can have the gospel. And you can have Jesus, but they can't have everything else, right? Your heart is for Jesus. Your soul is for Jesus. Your mind is for Jesus. You can't give all that to the world. You can love this world. You're in this world, and in, in the sense that God loves the world. I'm actually going to define that for you next week. But, uh, but the reality is that you've got you to say no to some things if, you, if you're going to love God and love people the way we talked about in verses 8, 7, and 8 of 1 John chapter 2. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why? Because James tells us it, it puts us at war with God, and you don't want to go to war with God. Jesus warned of what occurs when our heart is divided in Matthew 6, 24. He said, ye adulter, or I mean, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, no man can serve two masters, right? Our loyalties get divided. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and in this case, he says mammon, right? You can't serve filthy lucre. You can't serve money. So, like, you, you need a job, right? You need, to, you need to earn a living. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't provide for your house, you're worse, worse than an infidel. If you're a man, right, you need to man up, and you need to go to work. That's great, but you cannot love your job more than you love God and your wife and your kids. I'm a pastor, and I can't love, I can't love what I do as a minister more than I love my wife and my kids. Even though I'm serving the Lord. Now, I can lo- I got to serve the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and my neighbors as myself. But you've got to have pr- priorities and parameters and even how to love. Because if, you allow your, if we allow our, not just you, if we, if we allow ourselves to love this world and the things therein, right? The pride of life, we've already quoted it. The lust, of the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Man, all that stuff, well, it'll creep up and, and it will rob us of joy. It'll rob us of love. And it'll... Ultimately, it will rob us of the most important thing, which is relationship. 
You know, and that's when you think about even Fourth of July, that's what this holiday is all about, historically, by the way, uh, the, as we've celebrated in this country, right? We, we used to be considered, for you and the younger crowd, you don't remember this because they've taken this out, but we used to be called a melting pot, and we celebrated the fact that we had this one thing, and it was liberty, that drew us all together from all over the world. And it was all about unity around this, this concept of freedom and all of those things. Now, of course, uh, <coughs> that can be used, and, and it doesn't necessarily, the only real liberty comes from Christ. And, and, and I don't want to get off on politics and all that, but the reality is this. What draws us all together is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and that liberty that he gives us to be one in Christ. So, point B, love not the things that are in the world. If we want to, this is kind of the opposite of what we see on the other side of the chapter in, in verses 7 and 8, where he's saying, this is what you need to love. You need to, you need to I'm going to give you not a new, an old commandment and a new commandment. I'm going to give you what Jesus gave you, right? Love the Lord thy God with thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, thy neighbor as thyself, right? So, but this is what you can't do. You can't love the world nor the things that are in the world in verse 15. So John is getting ready to, uh, ready <clears throat> to take 11 verses to warn of the spirit of Antichrist in verses 13 through 29. And he's very mindful of how the adversary destroys the heart through the weakness of our flesh. So in 1 John 2.16, John tells us that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's what the world has to offer. So we do not get past Genesis 3 before we see Satan attack Eve, the mother of all living, by offering her a promise attached to a thing. Right? He, he finds a thing that she wants, and he, had pro- he puts a promise to it uh, about the knowledge of good and evil. And the next thing you know, she and Adam uh, bite. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil are masterful at using things to draw our attention and our heart away from God's word. Right? That's all that happened. He, he just drew them away from what God actually said. And the next thing you know, they're adding, they're adding rules that weren't there, and then they're violating the very thing that God said. And that's how we work as humans, and that's why we need Jesus' grace and mercy. So you might remember that God told Israel to destroy everything, everything, everything in Jericho, except the precious metals and Rahab the harlot in her house. Only thing that was valuable in Jericho uh, by the point of Israel's um, invasion of the promised land was because of years of hardness of heart, because of years of rejecting God, the only thing that God found valuable and the only way that he could save uh, the land uh, was to bring his promised people in and to annihilate everything inside the walls of Jericho except a woman and her family that had been faithful, that had faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the precious metals that they needed. He was like, we'll redeem those, put them in the Lord's treasury, because i got plans to use those as objects of worship for myself. And so, so you might remember that God told them, stay away from the things, right, in Jericho, as a picture of the world. They were shut up, and the influence of God's people, <clears throat> they were at war with the truth. When the children of Israel came to the Jordan, right, and they came across, the people of Jericho put walls, they had walls, right, and they went within their walls, and they stayed there. They were at enmity with God's people. And you know the story how they marched around seven times and the walls fell and all of that. But I wanted, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles in the time we have. And I, we're running short here, so just bear with me. Turn to John chapter 17 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 17. Joshua 6, 17. Joshua 6 chapter, verse 17. Now, here in ver- this passage, 
this is the account of Jericho and the walls fallen. We see that in verse 17, it says, And the city shall be accursed. So God pronounces this in verse 17. He says, In the city, it's a paragraph mark there, And the, the city, Jericho is what he's referring to, shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, uh, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, and she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. And so he says there's this accursed thing. Now he doesn't define what the accursed thing is here. He just says stay away from the accursed thing. Right? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, but all the silver and the gold, verse 19, and the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So we're told that the children of Israel did exactly what God said, and Rahab and her house were spared. The silver, the gold, the vessels of brass and iron were given to the treasury of the Lord, and everything and everyone else was destroyed, and then it was completely burned. It was razed, and so it was done. It was, it was taken care of. What a picture of what happens to the things of this world. Ultimately, everything that we possess... Everything in this world, other than the word of God and the souls of men, what's going to happen to it? It is going to burn, right? It is not of any value eternally. And so it's so important that they have their values on the right thing. So there's, there's always one, though. There's always one that says, you know what? God's commands aren't for me, right? I know God says, love not the world, neither the things in the world, but he's not talking to me. No, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking, don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your husband, don't look at your wife. He's talking to you. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Because we find in Joshua chapter 7, look at the next chapter in verse 1, it says, but, now by the way, as you're looking over to chapter 7 verse 1, if you read the rest of chapter 6, you will find nothing but absolute obedience from the perspective of, of the, as a whole, the nation of Israel did exactly what God told them to do. There's nothing negative. They do exactly as God said that's executed to perfection. But, but, right, chapter 7, verse 1. But, there's always someone that's an exception. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed what? Thing. There was something that just, that, that messed it all up. They trespassed in the accursed thing. And they didn't know it yet. So as the story goes on, it says, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of, uh, of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Isn't it interesting? God knew he took it as soon as he did it. But he let this carry on, didn't he? He could have dropped him dead. like a, He could have just killed him on the spot, but he didn't. He says, Let's, I'm going to let this play out a little bit, because I got a lesson, not just for him, but for the whole nation of Israel, for the, the congregation at HBF in 2021 and so he lets it play out and the, the, his, the, ang the anger of the Lord was kindled against him and uh, we see that the, the children of Israel were getting ready to, to go into battle for time's sake I'm not going to read it all but they, they, they're going to go on they don't know it they're going to go on and take this next town of Ai now Ai is nothing like Jericho it's not fortified like Jericho it's not big like Jericho it's not a major place so, so Jer Josh was like look let's not use all of our resources uh, to do this we're going to take uh, some men and we're going to go and take this and should be no problem israel though was a curse because achan took of the accursed thing and after being defeated at ai uh, joshua realized something is desperately wrong 
right? So all of a sudden, they have this huge upset, you know? Um, it's like the Chiefs went to play Farm Club somewhere. I don't know. Who are they? Who, who's the worst NFL team? <laughs> no, I was thinking that, actually. But, uh, you know, whoever. The Cleveland Browns. No, they're not the worst anymore, either. The Jets. Jets is good. The Dallas, right? And they just get wiped up. They just get destroyed. And you're right, Ray. When I start talking football, I'm off. But I'll get back on. So, uh, <laughs> and so they get destroyed. And they're like, what happened? You know, it was like the Super Bowl last year. So anyway, what happened? It's just, we're wiped. And so Joshua's laying on his face, literally. And he's just like, God, what, is, you know, what, is, what have we done? What is wrong? Because God made all these promises. And, and he had every right to expect victory at Ai. And, of course, uh, in the text, just pick it up in verse uh, 10, chapter 7, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Get thee up. <laughs> Get up, Joshua. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and have put it <clears throat> even among their own stuff. Now, notice he doesn't say Achan. He says Israel. Why? Because one man's inability to obey affected everybody. And he goes on to say in verse 12, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I, <clears throat> will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed from among you. So he gets his commandments. Find what's accursed and destroy it. That's what was supposed to happen in Jericho. Now you've let what was in the world in the camp. And now we've got to go through the camp and find it and eradicate it. Woo! That's serious. Aren't you glad we don't live in the Old Testament? Achan's sin had to be dealt with before the curse was lifted from the congregation. So as you go on down to verse 20, fast forward, and it says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, uh, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord. He calls out Achan, his family, for time's sake, i got to just kind of get to the chase. And, and he calls them out, and, and, and he comes forward, and he says, Thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils, what is this thing? A goodly Babylonianish, Babylonish, I should say, garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight. Then I coveted them. His heart went away. You see, there was a thing. There was this priestly garb, this robe. He, he liked the little white collar. He liked the big long dress, and he's like, "Hey, I want to put that thing on. I want. I like Dagon the fish god. I think I'll wear this thing." That's pretty nice. Oh, and there's some gold, and there's some, oh, yeah, and some silver, not in that order. And he, and he says, I, I covered I wanted it. So I just hid it in the tent floor. All right, he dug in the dirt. Now, we know Matthew 13. We know where, what, what the dirt is, isn't it? What is the dirt in the Bible? What's that a type of in Matthew 13? It's the soil. The flesh, it is the flesh, but particularly the heart, right? Jesus gives the parable of the sower, and the soil there is the heart. He takes and goes to his tent and he digs up a hole and he shoves something down there that was a curse and he, he hides it in his heart. Well, wait a minute. That's where the word of God's supposed to be hid. In the center of his dwelling place, instead of having the word of God, the command of the Lord esteemed more than his necessary food, like Job said. No, he's like, he goes in the center of his, of his dwelling place, he digs up a hole and he hides an accursed thing. 
Beloved, his heart was given over to the world. There was a thing in the world. Who cares about a, a Babylonian garment? Who cares about a brick of gold? Who cares about silver in relation to what God says? I'll tell you who we do. We're the church of Laodicea. We think we're rich and increased with goods. And God's saying, God forbid. Those aren't, things aren't even important. What's important? Go back to the previous church age and look at the word of God. That's what's important. Go back to a, you, it's, a, it's Independence Day. Go back to the, the beginning of this country. What did they have to fight the British? Very little. What they had was a promise that God freed people who were oppressed. And beloved, God still frees people that are oppressed. Oppressed by sin. Man, Achan lost track of what he was doing. He forgot that his ancestors were in bondage. He forgot all that God had did to get them across the Jordan River. He forgot everything that God had promised in the promised land. And he was willing to jeopardize it all for a stinking garment and some gold and some silver. It's nothing to God. And beloved, we live in a culture today that is just like that. We'll give up everything for what we want. And God says, John says, listen, I'm going to talk to you about the Antichrist that's coming. And you better get a hold of your senses because he will offer you things. That will take your heart away from God. Where is our heart? It better be upon the Lord's commandments to love him and love others. Achan's sin had to be dealt with before the curse was lifted from the congregation. He coveted that stuff. He hid it. John understood the dangers of loving things. The things of this world. Now I want you to think about this and we're almost done. I got to get done. I'm a little over. I apologize. But John was John John understood what love looked like. And he understood what it looked like to deny the things of this world. You see John was present when Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. John was present when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost and pretended to give more than they actually did in Acts 5, 1 through 11. Each one of them lied to Peter separately, and they had the same problem. They were covetous. It wasn't that they didn't give all. It's that they pretended to give all, but they held back some. But they said, you know what? We're going to give you 10%. Here it is. That would have been fine. But instead they said, hey, we're going to give you this. We're going to give you all, but they held back. They were covetous. They had a problem in their heart. They were phony. And God, in that first church, in the early church, John was there. John saw, Peter says, hey, did you do this? Oh, no. Boom, they dropped dead. The young man wound them up and carried them out. Both of them, Barnabas, Ananias, I'm sorry, and Sapphira. By the, and that's, by the way, for, for time's sake, you can look it up, but Acts 5, 1 through 11, it's worth a read. By this point in John's life, <clears throat> he'd also watched most, if not all, of his contemporaries lay down their lives for Jesus' sake, for the gospel's sake. When he spoke about not loving the world and the things in it, he knew exactly what he was talking about. Beloved, that's why we need to take mission trips. We got to get out of here. You got to go places and see people and see things that just make you realize what's important. I tell my wife, every time I come home, you know, there, I can walk around my house as an American and go, man, I need this. I need to knock out a wall. I need to build on the back. I need to do that. I need to do this. And then I go on a mission trip. I come home. And I'm like, I'm in a castle. I got hot water. You know, I mean, it's just amazing. 
how it adjusts you. Now, we shouldn't feel guilty. God has blessed the USA, right? I'm not saying that you should feel guilty. I'm just saying that you should be, we should be thankful. And then we should leverage what God has given us, our education, our understanding of God's word, our opportunity to take the gospel of the world. And we should do it with all of our might and our strength and, and stay in those first, in, in, in verses 7 and 8, and don't allow verse 15, uh, 16 and 17 to rob us and others of what God would have. John had seen a lot of things. And when he spoke about not loving the world and the things in the world, he knew exactly what he was talking about. In 1 John chapter 3, he'll write later, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, Hereby perceive we the love of God, verse 16 in chapter 3, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, here it comes again, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Let us not just talk about love, and let us do it. All right, let's be strong to get courage and do it. Okay, last and not least, we've got to be done. Who, who do you love? In verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We covered that, but he says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus clearly said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Before making this statement, he had had a discussion with Philip, the disciple, <clears throat> how, the, how the Father is in him and he is in the Father. And then the text says in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If any man had, or I'm sorry, if you had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip's listening to this and goes, wait a minute. Uh, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus looks at him in verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long a time with you, and, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? What was he saying? This is what he told him. I and the Father are one. You've seen me. You've seen the Father manifest. You're looking at me. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Nobody can see the Father. So if you want to see him, you see Jesus. Believest thou not that I am the Father? I, I am in the Father, I should say, and the Father in me. The works that I speak, or the words, sorry, I gotta put my spectacles on. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He do, He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. So after Jesus made this statement that if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. He promised the Holy Ghost upon his resurrection. And in chapter that same chapter, in verse 15, uh, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Who is that comforter? Verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye, have, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be, where? In you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. So what John is pointing out in 1 John 2.15 is that 
is that disciples need to discipline themselves <clears throat> and guard their hearts. Jesus is talking to Philip, and he's trying to help them as he prays as well. And he's dealing with the Spirit of God. He's dealing with what he promises his disciples and what God is going to do in their life. John is pointing out to his disciples, his little children, to his young men, to the, even the, the elders, the, the, the aged men, the strong men, the old men. He's pointing out to them the need to discipline themselves and guard their hearts. It's the 4th of July, and if you read Proverbs chapter 4 today, the Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. <clears throat> let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove, remove, remove thy foot from evil. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You know, Peter had, he thought he had an agape love for Jesus. <clears throat> I mean, he just knew that he loved, he was the first apostle. He loved Jesus. But he found out that really he just had a phileo love. I told you I'd get to that. Meaning he thought that his love was perfect. It was complete. It was pure. But it was really only that of a friend. It was not nearly as deep as the love of Christ or the Father for this world. We'll talk a little bit more about that next month. It was when Jesus met him <clears throat> on the seashore. You know, Peter felt like a failure. He was, he was deeply troubled by his own lack of love, his lack of ability to believe God. And, and of course, when push came to shove, Peter wanted a physical kingdom, and Jesus is like, put your sword away, Peter. You don't even understand what I'm doing. I gotta, I'm bringing in a spiritual kingdom. That's not what Peter wanted, or even was understanding at the time. And of course, he failed, and he denied the Lord thrice. You know the story with Peter. And so, in John 13, 36, when they were still in the upper room, Simon Peter said this. Simon Peter saith unto them, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, <clears throat> why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. I took your command seriously. I I'm willing to die. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow, till thou hast denied me thrice. This reality impacted Peter so deeply that he was ready to quit. Because it played out just like Jesus said. You, you think you love me, Peter. You don't even know what love is yet. You know. And by the way, I don't think I've ever been any better than Peter. Uh, how about you? I'd like to think I'd be John, but perhaps I would, wouldn't be any of those guys. Who knows? But the reality is it was, it was tough sledding for him. And you guys know he went to fishing. He quit. In John chapter 21, Jesus sets on the seashore. He calls him in. And I don't, I don't have time to get into it. But he's just basically going to ask Peter. Peter, you know what? I need you to do one thing. Obey. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Follow me. I don't care what you think about the kingdom, Peter. <laughs> what matters is what I think. I'm the king. I just need you to do what I'm telling you to do. Feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Agape love? Is your love perfect? 
feed my lambs? And he says, I love you, Lord. Phileo. You love me? You know that three times. Second time, feed my sheep. Third time, feed my sheep. And the, and the emphasis there to Peter was simply, follow me. Obey me. Because, right, as you go on through the text in John 21, you will have a day where you have a chance to love me and lay down your life for me. It's not the agape love, but just do good phileo love. Just do a good Revelation chapter 3, Philadelphian church age love. Just, just, just obey me and follow me, Peter. What about John? Don't worry about John. Don't get distracted with everybody else. Follow me. I made you a fisher of men. Now I'm going to make you a shepherd. And that leads us back to the original discussion. At the Passover feast, Jesus was telling Peter to hold on. Peter, you need the Holy Ghost in you. You you can't do this without me. Without me, you can do nothing. Fifty days after Peter had totally blown it, he was standing in Jerusalem preaching with the power of God. Thousands of people coming to Christ because the gift of the Holy Ghost had been given to the church. And so what's that got to do with the price of feed? Well, listen, don't overlook receiving God's instruction. It's, it, God wants us to, when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, he's not kidding. You think, well, no, no, I can do what I want to do, and they can do what they want to do. Beloved, do you understand what you're into? God has called us to something much bigger than ourselves. Our unity is the key to getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. People know him by looking at us. They know his love for us when we have love for one another. People are not going to understand the love of God if we love the world and the things they're in. But they will see the love of God when they see it demonstrated among us. You cannot help but love the world if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't dwell in you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you don't have the wherewithal not to love the world. As a matter of fact, that's all you can do is look for satisfaction and be like Mick Jagger and you ain't going to find any. No, no, no. You ain't going to have any satisfaction. I'm not trying to be funny, though. I'm serious. You're going to go through this world and all the things, the things, the things that you coveted, the things that you thought would bring you what you needed, including people and possessions and all the things that you thought were going to make it happen for you in your heart, and you set your heart on those things, you're going to find them just to be a curse. Man, I tell you what, you don't have to die like Achan because Jesus already died for us. The Bible tells us he became a curse for us. And the thing that God wants us to look at is Christ on the cross. He became sin for us who knew no sin. Why? So that we would be free from the curse of sin and death. That's why Paul in Galatians is saying, stand fast in the liberty. Where do you get that liberty? You get it from Jesus who bound himself on the cross so that we could be free. And we don't have to go after the world. We don't have to go after the things of this world. Quite the contrary, we get to love God and we get to love people. 